<laughs> Great. Okay. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Um, what I what I want to share with you this morning um, is. I guess it's a kind of culmination of um, some stuff that's been brewing in me over recent months, um, some things that the Father's been teaching me, um, and um, some areas of freedom, really, that I've been going after. Um, so I want to share some of that with you. I want to share um, some stories. I'm going to start by sharing a few stories. I hope that um, you find some encouragement in those. Um, and I just really want to let you in, I guess, in, in what God's been doing in my life lately. And I just love how the Father just continues to stir stuff up in us. I love how he continues to prepare us for all that he has here as individuals, but also corporately as the Jubilee family. And I thought um, Chris's encouragement to us recently was great that as we face times of resistance in our life, as we face those mountains that we've mentioned already this morning, that we can raise a shout of grace, grace to it. Grace, that continual overflow, the ability to do that which we cannot do in our own strength. Jesus streaming into us and overflowing into others. And I've been thinking about all of the things that the Father is kind of birthing in us as a church at this time. So I've been thinking about the children's storehouse, about uh, Jubilee Creative, all the creative ventures that are about to kick off. I've been thinking about the Bible School, very excited about that, and the launch next month. About all the things that um, the Father's doing in our young people the groups, the detonate group, the youth group, so exciting. And just all the things that the Father's stirring up, even in our worship team, it just seems like there's so much at the moment. It's amazing. But I wonder if there's the danger that we might get a little bit overwhelmed, feel maybe a little bit daunted. All these things, where do we start? What, what do we need to prioritise? What's the action plan? I wonder if there's the danger of falling into the trap of a performance mentality. And as I share today, I feel like there's going to be this invitation for us instead to take up a presence mindset. As we look at these things, as we look at the things in our own lives. I love what Heidi Baker says. She says, instead of being purpose-driven, I prefer to be presence-centred. As we look at all of the things that God's doing in us at this time, we need to remember to start with the Father, to remain with him, to do everything out of his lead. Romans 12 tells us, doesn't it, that we're not to conform to the pattern of this world. Rather, we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Now, worldly mindedness is to do with performance. Work harder, do better, make sacrifices that impact your time, your family. And then you'll get rewarded. You'll get the pay rise. You'll get the bonus. You'll get status, respect. Heavenly mindedness is not like that. Our lives are to be changed as our minds are made new by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we are able to discern God's will in all things. 
And so I want to talk today about moving from a performance mindset to being present-centered. Now, God has been highlighting to me the priority of his presence over my performance. Now, being honest, this is something that I have to talk to God about a lot. (laughs) Now, I am a natural doer. Those of you that know me well know that I like to get things done. My time fills up very quickly. And in the past, I've kind of found myself having to kind of walk this tension between performance and presence, getting things done and following the father's lead. But what he's been showing me is that these are not two ends of a tightrope that I'm supposed to walk between, preferably nearer the presence end. Rather, I've had to repent to change my thinking. I've had to move from a performance mindset to a presence mindset. I can't have a bit of both. Rob spoke to us last week about the reality of the spiritual battle that we're in. How the devil only has as much power as we give him. And so the things that we live by, the things that we believe are really important. We need to consider what we've made an agreement with intentionally or not. And so I want to share with you a lie that I realise I've been believing in this whole area of performance and that I've named and shamed in recent months. And the lie is my value comes from what I do. Now, I am one of these rather unique people who find the summer holiday quite hard. So don't get me wrong, I am very, very uh, privileged to be a school teacher, so I have endless weeks off in the summer, and I do love it, I enjoy it. But what I end up finding is that after a few weeks, I get a little bit unsettled. I start to feel a bit restless. And this summer, I was talking to God about this because I wanted to get to the bottom of it. Why do I get to this point where I just don't really feel very me? I feel unsettled. And what he showed me was that the thing with the summer is that all of my usual routines, all of my structure, all of my natural rhythms during term time are suddenly taken away. They're there one minute and they're gone the next. And so what I end up doing to kind of substitute those is I self-impose my own rhythms and routines. And very often these are all centred about doing They're all about what I need to get done, what I can write on a list. So it could be as simple as just putting a load of washing on, or it could be preparing for a training day in September. This is what I find. I centre my summer around. Now, I've got a photo of a notebook that I found. Now, I found this as I was preparing for today. And I think this is probably God's sense of humour. So this is Rebecca's list of stuff to remember. Okay, so if you can read that, it says things like, I've written them down, uh, mustn't forget my passport. So many chores and not enough time to do them. I must remember to pick up the milk. Who did I need to buy a present for? So it makes me stress just looking at it. And, but this is the kind of thing people buy me. Somebody's bought me this. I can't remember who as a present. That's the kind of thing people kind of see and think of me. <laughs> now, the sad thing is, But if I'm not careful, I can end up finding security and self-worth in the completion of all of these things. Rather than living out of the truth that my value is not based on what I do, 
but on who I am as a child of God. It's a really faulty system because it never satisfies. There's always more to do. And because life happens and my plans get interrupted. I've made an agreement with a lie that my value was based on outcome, on performance. And therefore, I was only valuable when I perceived myself to be achieving, getting stuff done. And that's what the restlessness was all about. At its root lies the belief that I have to earn my way into my father's favour by the things that I do. Now, I know that that isn't true. But how easily I can fall back into the trap of performance. How easy it is for me to subtly slip back into old habits of self-effort and self-reliance. I wonder this morning if there are things that the Holy Spirit is highlighting to you. Things that you have entered into agreement with. What words do you speak over yourself? Are they the same words that the Father speaks over you? I found a really helpful question to ask once the Father reveals a faulty belief system in me. Is why would the enemy want me to believe this? So for me, why would the enemy want me to believe that my value is based on what I do? Well, firstly, it limits me. If I believe my value is based on what I do, it makes me look at myself and my own limited resources, all the things I can't do, rather than lifting my gaze to my heavenly father and his limitless supply. Secondly, if I believe the lie that my value is based on what I do, then it makes me fear failure. And this is an identity issue rooted in another lie. If I fail, I'll get rejected. Now, this may be true if I'm reliant on human approval, but the greater truth is that I am fully accepted in Christ and can never be rejected or forgotten about. If my sense of value comes from the praises of people, which are temporary and changeable, then I am in danger of drowning out the constant, never-changing voice of my father who tells me that I'm an accepted, significant, powerful daughter, regardless of what I do or don't do. Thirdly, if I believe the lie that my value is based on what I do, it stops me from taking risks. A performance mindset, therefore, kind of dictates how high my ceiling can be. It makes me stick to really safe areas where I feel competent and I know what to do. And this will cap my growth. It stops me stepping out, stops me being courageous, which is just what the enemy wants, because the enemy always wants us to stay small, to stop us from walking in our destiny and following the dreams that God's put in our hearts. So as I was processing this over the summer, I felt like the father asked me to imagine with him what it would look like to be free from a performance mindset in every area of my life. So I imagined in him going into every situation that my day-to-day week looks like. I imagined going into work. I imagined being with my team 
I imagine being with my family. I imagine being here at Jubilee. And I longed for that freedom that I imagined. I imagined not worrying about what people thought of me, but just doing everything on the Father's assignment, loving the one in front of me, being motivated by that. And then I felt the Father say, you don't have to wait for that. This is already who you are. You're already free from the need to perform. Just step into it. You have my favour. You're my daughter. And so I found it really helpful to actually write out some declarations, some things that God says about who I am. So in my phone, I have them now written out in a little note. And when I remember, I say these out loud. So I'm just going to share a couple with you. One I've already said, my value is not based on what I do, but on who I am as a child of God. And another one, I don't have to do things in order to feel valued. I do things because I understand I already have immense value because of who I am. And what I'm learning is that increasingly, as I rely more on what he says about me, rather than the outcome of what I do, then I don't have to feel courageous before stepping out. God loves it when I have a go. Courage is not an emotion, it's a decision. It's a yes instead of a no. So how do we move from operating out of this performance mindset to being present-centred in all that we do? Well, I found John 15 so helpful in this area. We're going to have a little look at that. Feel free to turn it up. It will come on the screen as well. Now, this passage is part of a conversation between Jesus and his disciples. Jesus has washed their feet in chapter 13 as demonstration of his love for them and to set an example of servant heartedness. And then he gives his final instructions to his followers before he's arrested and crucified in chapter 18. And in the middle of this dialogue, we get these verses in chapter 15, where Jesus calls himself the true vine. So we're going to pick it up at verse 4, John 15, verse 4. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself unless it's joined to the vine. So we can't bear fruit unless we're connected to Jesus. Fruitfulness is good. Jesus is not saying forget about the outcome. He's saying true fruitfulness comes from a different place. Not the world's way of do more, try harder, be better. Rather, we are to remain in him. Five times in those verses, Jesus uses the word remain. Your version might say abide. But either way, it's the same picture. Remain is to carry on, to persist, to endure. Abide is to dwell, to continue in a place. 
It's a picture of continuing in a daily, authentic relationship with Jesus. Knowing that I don't have to do anything, just come to him. I don't have to fight for his attention. He's my father. His eyes are always on me. I just have to meet his gaze. I don't have to bring everything, anything. I don't have to list off the things I've done that week. I don't have to perform. All I have to do is let him have my heart. To keep things shorthand. To allow him to transform my thinking. To see the world and my circumstances through his eyes. That's what it means to be present-centred. To do everything out of the abiding overflow of his presence. To allow all that he pours into us to spill out. When Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, he obviously doesn't mean nothing at all. I can think of many occasions where I've gone into situations with a performance mindset and carried on my normal daily activities. The problem is I've done it in my own strength. Jesus is saying here, unless we intentionally remain in Christ day by day, drawing strength from him, then we can do nothing of eternal value. Nothing that produces spiritual fruit. A few weeks ago, Bishop Isaac reminded us that we get to give out of the overflow. You can't give what you haven't received. So when you receive Jesus, you give Jesus. When you receive anointing, you give anointing. When he releases his glory in our lives, we can release heaven's resources on earth. All of our efforts in God's kingdom must originate from this place of rest, the place of abiding in his presence. They must flow from the revelation that if I did nothing else for the rest of my days but sat on the floor, he would love me no less than he does right now. It's not about me. I'm learning that if I will take time to rest in him, he will do more with my life than I could ever hope to achieve otherwise. But I have to be very intentional about resting. I prefer to run. Listen to Hebrews 4. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. This is the pattern that God lays down for us. God worked six days creating the heavens and the earth in Genesis chapter 1, and then he rested on the seventh. If we never rest, then we can never run. So taking a day, however that looks for our week, is not just good advice. It's the life rhythm that the Father's laid down for us. Now, this might not be the traditional Sunday off. Often Sundays can be the busiest day of the week. But a very wise friend of mine said that if you imagine each day carved into three parts, so morning, afternoon and evening, a Sabbath rest would be three parts, three parts of our week. Do we rest for that much? I know that I don't unless I'm intentional about it. 
We are called and allowed to rest. God is able to keep his world going. I learned this again recently when I got a sickness bug. So I got ill one night. I then found out the next day that a third of my class had also got it. We'd all been struck in the early hours of the Thursday morning. And we had the next Thursday and Friday off work. Now, I hate being ill. But it's less about being sick and more about not being allowed to go to work. I find that really difficult. And so I had to have a really good talk to myself, even though, you know, it was great. I got to catch up with telly that I'd missed. I had to realize that the world carries on. God is in control. He's in control of my time. The father commands rest. And it's not about being lazy and sitting around. It's about time to intentionally hold on to the hope that we have. Believing what he says, knowing that he will fulfill his promises. And it's also about having fun. I love the story that Heidi Baker tells of how she discovered that God likes to stop and play. Now, often she will pray for three to five hours a day. And she used to think that this would count as her Sabbath rest. But she found that God did not agree. He also wanted her to play. And so on one occasion, she tells how she she flew all of her senior leaders of Iris Global, the mission organization that she leads. She got them to fly over to Mozambique, where she and her husband are based. And they were to play and to pray. And she asked God if they could strategize as well. She had this great opportunity, all of her leaders around the table, all in one place. What a great opportunity to plan and to strategize. God said no. They were to play and to pray. And so they all set sail on the Iris boat, drifted out to sea, and they prayed and they played and they ate. And she says, it might sound worthless in the natural, but God loved it. Some of us are so driven that we need to be very intentional about learning to play. This is a crucial aspect of rest. It's not just about not working. It means having fun with God, delighting in his promises to us, enjoying the little things with him. So for me, I really love to go for a walk in the fields behind my house. I love this time of year. I love putting my wellies on and going and having a kick of the leaves. But very, very often there are other things that I feel like I should or could be doing. There are other demands on my time. But what, again, I'm finding is that if I will intentionally do that, go and have fun, go and have a walk with my friends in my welly boots, That so often God will bring clarity in things that I'm trying to sort out in my mind. He'll bring encouragement and I'll just feel his favour over me simply because I'm resting and enjoying him and being out in his creation. Yesterday, I spent my afternoon encased inside a giant plastic bubble. Now, this is not something I generally do on a Saturday, but it was my friend's Hindu. And, do you know, it was a really big thing for me to say yes to that Hindu 
because I knew that I would be preaching today. Ordinarily, I would clear my diary. I'd have plenty of time to prepare and think. But I really felt like the father said, you're really going to enjoy this. Just say yes. Go and do it. And I did. I had an amazing time. I got to bash into other people also wearing big plastic bubbles. I got to do somersaults. I'm quite achy today as a result. But it was great. It did my soul good. I love that rest does stuff in us. A couple of years ago, I came across this diagram that I'm going to show you. Just found it so helpful. It's the cycle of run, rest, release. Now, as I'm sure you've picked up now, in the natural, my rhythm would be run, run, run. That's how I'm wired. But in the process of Jesus renewing my mind, he's used this to show me what happens when I abide, remain in him, staying attached to the vine, rather than running and trying to produce fruit in my own strength. The fruit comes as we release what we have received in the rest. I love reading about the life of Smith Wigglesworth. He was a Yorkshire-born plumber turned evangelist who lived his life in continual, unbroken conversation with God. I'm sure you've heard this before, but it's been said of him that he rarely prayed for more than half an hour, but seldom went half an hour without praying. He said, if you find me on the streets or anywhere else, if I am alone, I am talking to God. I make it my business to talk to God all of the time. Now, Lester Sumrall was a guy who made many visits to Smith's house for times of prayer and Bible study in the 1930s, and they became firm friends. This was Lester's description of Smith. He had a sweetness. It was like a well of water springing up, and it was so delicious that I would come again and again to drink. As Smith spent time connected to Jesus, he didn't have to do anything. What was inside just spilled out. As we receive from Jesus in times of resting and connection, we are free to release joy and peace, and comfort, and freedom, and life, and the presence of the king wherever we go. We release what we receive in the rest. But also from this place, we get to release others. One of the problems when we forget to rest is that we forget we're not supposed to do it all. And that's when we can get overwhelmed and get burnt out. Being good releasers enables us to rest instead. So as well as releasing life and the Holy Spirit and anointing, we also get to release people into all that God has for them. No can sometimes be an anointed word. Do we sometimes do more than God is asking of us? Are there people instead that he's wanting us to get alongside and help release? To give them the gift of our trust. They might do it differently to how we do, but we're not in charge. Jesus is. 
We can't have his job. And multiplication is a principle of his kingdom. Remember the parable of the sower. The farmer sowed the seed into different soils, representing the message of the kingdom and those that receive it. I want to be like the good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. So what does God want to multiply in you? What has he been growing in you that he wants you to release in others? Who does he want you to release this to? We all have something that the Father wants to multiply out of us for the sake of his kingdom. So as I finish, I want us to be encouraged that there is another way. We don't have to fall into the world's trap of performance, of self-effort, of self-reliance. As we remain in Jesus, bringing just ourselves, nothing more, we enter into his rhythm of resting and releasing. Our value does not come from what we do, but on who we are as children of God. You don't have to work harder. You don't even have to be the best. There's no competition in the kingdom. We are free to be ourselves. As we take up the Father's rhythm of rest, we'll find that we'll get far more accomplished through resting than through striving. He has things he wants to release in us so that we can release all that he's put in us in others. Good resters are good releasers. So I'd love to finish by praying for us that we would be really, really good resters. Can I invite you to stand? Yeah, Jesus, we want to agree together this morning that we want to be really good at resting. Father, we acknowledge that you have given us this rhythm of rest. We are not supposed to go, go, go and do, do, do. Father, we want to reject the lie that performance equals value. I thank you that we get to just come as we are. Jesus, I thank you that you did the ultimate performance on the cross, that you did all that was needed to give us value, to make us children of God. So we just get to bring ourselves to you. And Jesus, I pray that you would help us to stay connected to you. It was never about performance. It's always about connection. And I pray that you would help us to be really good at resting. You'd release that in us even now as we stand together and agree. And God, I pray that out of that rest, you would just bubble up all that you want to release in us, all that you want to overflow. And I pray that you'd help us to be really great at releasing other people. Thank you that we don't have to do everything. 
God, thank you that we get to do it out of a place of rest and running with our brothers and sisters together. So, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us again now? Would you highlight those areas that you are putting your finger on? If there are any areas of um, unbelief, disbelief, things that we have believed that are not right, that are not from what you say about us, I pray that you would show those to us now. And we choose to believe what you say about us, that we are valued, that we are never more valuable than we are right now in this moment because of what you've done for us, Jesus. Yeah, we thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness to us. We really love you, Lord. We thank you for all that you do in us. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that we belong to you. And I pray that you would help us as we go from this place to just walk with our heads held high, knowing what you have said about us is true and that we don't have to perform. In Jesus' name. Amen.